0: Amen indeed. Thank you. Well, good morning. It is always an honor to be, um, invited. Uh, Ryan, I promise, is not obligated to do this. I, I don't, I don't like blackmail him or anything. Um, and it's always a joy to get to join in, um, the, the journey that we take together as a body through scripture. Right now, the lectionary is walking us through the gospel of Luke and, um, this is a pretty famous chapter. We uh, often have heard sermons on the, uh, the three lost things, right? The lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. In fact, I looked back, and I think one of the last times I preached here on a Sunday, I, I preached on the prodigal son. And, um, but the lectionary this week stops us shy of the prodigal son. We're just looking at the first two parables about the lost things, about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And it's hard for me not just to keep rolling and keep, I love the story of the prodigal son, so it's hard for me not to keep going forward. But what I'd like to focus on a little bit instead is I'm going to try to reach back um, and connect us again to some of the text from last week that Ryan preached on when we talked about the cost of being a disciple. So the first connection, I want to, I want to back up and ease us into the scripture this morning by um, grabbing the very last few words of chapter fourteen before we go forward. Okay? Jesus has spoken to the crowds um, about the cost of being a disciple, about counting the cost, about leaving everything to lay hold of God. And he concludes by saying, as he does other places in the gospel, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we hear this invitation often and Um, we all know that this is more than an invitation just to actually physically hear something. That the emphasis here is, are you, uh, the way Eugene Peterson renders it in the message is, are you listening? Are you really listening? So then we jump right next to, right into the next chapter. Now remember, these chapter breaks are arbitrary. This is a continuous narrative that Luke is making. And it is no mistake, I don't think, that these two verses are right back to back. At the end of chapter 14, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now start our text this morning in chapter 1, I mean verse 1 of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear him. Let he who has ears, let him hear. And it was the tax collectors and the sinners that were there to hear him. In the message, Eugene Peterson says, are you listening? Are you really listening? And then verse 1 says, all these people of questionable reputation were there intently listening. The wrong people were doing the right thing again, right? The tax collectors and the sinners were there with open hearts to listen and to hear. But there's someone else in the audience as well, and this is verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Whatever the Pharisees were there to do, it's not listen. Whatever they were there to do, it wasn't coming with an open heart to hear from Jesus. They're there for an entirely different purpose. Now, as ever, Scripture invites us to come and be part of what's going on and to figure out which group we're in. And I want to talk about both of these groups. There's some similarities here. Being a f- person, being a, a tax collector, being a sinner, being amongst the group of what we might call the lost things, the lost ones, is a creeping reality. Nobody sets out to get lost, right? One of my very uh, favorite songs from, I guess it's got to be 20 years old now, uh, Don Chaffer wrote lyrics of a worship song that says, almost no one slides on purpose. No one sells their soul for free. But once we love the things that hurt us, we're on our way to crazy. But this isn't something we set out and determined to become. But being a Pharisee isn't the goal either. No one sets out to become self-righteous, hard-hearted, and closed. In both cases, all along the way, we're trying to do the right thing. And at every juncture, we're doing the best that we can with the information that we have. And when the trail split back there, I thought left was the best option so that I took it. And then the other time that I had to go right, I really didn't see another way. And slowly, we may wake up and find ourselves in a reality we never intended to be a part of. So, they're both kind of creeping realities. They're also both groups that I've been in. I have found myself among the Pharisees, and I have found myself among the sinners and the lost. They're both groups that I've been in. These are both groups, and this is sometimes hard to remember. We see them being painted as sometimes the good guys and the bad guys, but these are both groups of people that God loves. And to both groups, the next couple of parables offer a message and an invitation. So I want to look at both of them this morning. Um, we're going to start with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, if anyone there would have fancied themselves a friend of God, it would have been the Pharisees, right? The men who have given their lives to following the law to the letter to being good, to being righteous, to doing the right thing, to living up, to measuring up, to performing. And I have found myself among this group at some times in my life. A little too proud of my accomplishments and hard work. A little too happy to see people excluded because it means that I'm included. A little too eager to be one of the people who could draw the lines in the sand to make sure that I know where they are and that I can police them. And a little too uncomfortable when I encounter Jesus. You know, when the Pharisees encounter Jesus, He's pushing all of their buttons. I want to reach back again to last week, right? When Jesus is talking about how to become his disciple. And he says, if anyone comes to me, anyone, anyone, anyone. If anyone comes to me to be my disciple, anyone can come. He says it in verse 26. He says it again in verse 27. Anyone can carry their cross and follow me. He says it again. Further down, in 33, any of you can give up everything, but anybody. And the Pharisees are like, surely not Surely not anybody. Really? Anybody? And over and over we see this in the gospel. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees go, "Mm, surely not at all? And in the passage from last week, he says, you have to give up everything. And it's the heart of a Pharisee that would say, surely not everything. Surely anybody doesn't mean anybody. Surely everything doesn't mean everything. I've found myself amongst that group. And in the parables this morning, there is a message and an invitation. It's a, it's a reminder with a little bit of a rebuke in it for the heart of a Pharisee, the heart that sometimes lives in me. We find it kind of at the second half of each of these parables. Right after... The shepherd has gone, and he's found the lost sheep, and it says he flings it over his shoulders, and he he brings it home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And in that same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's paralleled. In the next parable about the coin, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Remember I told you that if there's anybody in the crowd that would fancy themselves a friend of God, it would be the Pharisees. And in these parables, we are reminded that the friends of God celebrate the return of the lost. They don't resent it. They're not afraid of it. They don't question it. The friend of God celebrates with God for others. It's a bit of a rebuke that maybe sometimes we're not as friendly to the ways and the and the heart of God as we think that we are, but it's also an invitation to join him in that. I think the way into being a Pharisee is a little bit of navel-gazing, a little bit of constantly saying, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? Am I measuring up? Am I winning? Am I getting ahead? Am I on the inside? And I think maybe at least part of the way outside is to quit looking at ourselves at all, to look through the eyes of God at the people around us, and celebrate with them. To invite them home, to be part of the search party, and to be part of the celebration. Now, alongside the Pharisees, in the audience of Jesus today, by the tax collectors and the sinners, the lost, the lost things that the parables are about. Now, I want to give some attention to this word lost for just a minute, because often in the church, and this, this is not a wrong thing, but we've become accustomed to using the word lost as a I once, once, one time, are in the past, a long time ago I once was lost and now I'm found. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just not all. Um, certainly lost can refer to a person who was far from God and, and comes home in a sort of initial conversion experience. But what struck me about the parables this week is that none of these things like the uh, the shepherd doesn't go and find a sheep that didn't that wasn't his before. Does that make sense? The woman's not looking for a coin that she never had. She doesn't fortuitously happen upon a coin. This is a restoration. This is a bringing home of a sheep that formerly was part of the flock and has found itself lost. This is a restoration of a coin that belonged and was gone and now is back. And I've confessed already that I have been at times a part of the the sort of Pharisees um, and found myself in that group. But lately... And more recently, I feel more a part of the lost. Now, don't get—I'm not questioning my salvation. I'm not even necessarily questioning my faith. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about well, this is um, the best. Some of the best descriptions I've found. Um, is, I found. This is—I just went to the copy machine and photocopied a page out of Rodale's Synonym Finder, <laughs> like the thesaurus, like this. And I wonder if some of you, like me, might have felt lately like this. These are some of the words that mean lost. Forgotten. Sort of out of sight, out of mind. Maybe you felt irretrievable or or hopeless exhausted, spent, adrift, and at sea, confused, perplexed, baffled, bewildered, confounded, puzzled, mystified, and at a loss, destroyed, ruined, or wrecked, maybe felt absent, far away, somewhere else, just not there distraught, or desperate, frenzied, frantic, crazy, or carried away. Um. Any good preacher worth their salt would know that this is the time for a good example. Right? This is the part where I'm supposed to tell a story. And I'm going to tell some about mine in a minute, but Here's the thing I can tell from your faces. You don't need my stories about that. But just like there was a message for the Pharisees in the parables, there's a message for the lost. And the Pharisees get a reminder and a rebuke. The lost get a message of relief. Just relief. At the beginning of each parable, Jesus says, I want to read these in parallel. In the first one about the sheep, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 and go into the open country or the wilderness to look for the lost sheep until he finds it? And then he joyfully finds it, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. Similarly, in the parable about the the coin, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Until she finds it. Do you know the relief of being sought? Have you experienced this in your life of being sought out? Um, when Ryan and I met when we were at Tech, I had uh, not been living a life of faith. And I had recently come back to the Lord. I had also recently called off an engagement. Ugh, I do not recommend this. It's very miserable. I mean, y'all, we had already had a shower. I had to send back a hundred gifts with thank you, but I can't keep this gift anymore, <laughs> notes, and and I was just pretty much resigning myself to being single for the rest of my life, <laughs> like, I'm done, I've messed up too bad, nobody wants me anymore, and I frankly don't know that I have the energy to try again, And somehow that crazy guy sought me out. And I can tell you, he kind of had to climb a brick wall. I was not very encouraging. <laughs> and he sought me. The other um, times I've experienced like joyous recognition in my life, one of my favorites, when we first moved back from Kentucky after seminary, and we moved to Abilene, and Ethan, three-year-old little Ethan, started going to preschool. And all he could manage at that point, all the stam like his body really didn't have stamina for a whole day. So all he really had in him was about two hours each morning, 8 to 10. And he had just learned to walk. I mean, we had just shed the walker. He was just now mobile. And it was the cutest thing because two hours, y'all, 8 to 10 in the morning. And I would go pick him up at 10 o'clock in the morning. And that kid would run at me like we had been estranged for months, like I had abandoned him, and like he not, maybe I was never coming back. But, I get, but, but the joy of watching that kid who could barely walk run at me and say, Mama! And lately, being sought comes often in the form of a text message from a friend who says, I haven't heard from you in a while. Are you okay? Do you want to go have lunch? There's relief in just knowing someone's looking. One more connection to last week's text. You know, Ryan really did the hard work. (laughs) And he preached on how last week, in, in, in chapter 14, how we hear from Jesus about the cost of discipleship. Where this invitation that seems almost impossible and kind of hard, it's a high bar where God says, if you will let go of everything else to hold on to me. Let go of everything else to hold on to me. And I think in these parables, we have the flip side where God says, I will let go of everything else to hold on to you. God does not ask of us anything that God does not give first and more. We were at Whitney Merce's wedding last night. Ryan did a Really beautiful job and Gigi, and it it was, it's always good. It's a joyous occasion to be there. And to witness again two people who come and make vows to one another. All right. And say, I will let go of everything else to hold only to you. And they're mirrored. Both people make those promises. And I don't know of a human on this planet who would agree to show up at a wedding and say, I will let go of everything else to hold only to you to have the other person say, meh, maybe. I don't know. Because we know in our bones that sacrificial love is mutual or it doesn't work at all. And I think that's what we can celebrate in this text this morning. That God has asked more than we think that we can give, But he's also given more than we can ever quit receiving. So I pray this morning, whether you find yourself among the Pharisees or among the lost things, that you hear the call of God, that you trust in the heart of the shepherd who never stops looking, that you can say yes again to the widow who does not stop until she finds it. Or to the woman, excuse me, not the widow. You entrust the heart of the God who will let go of everything else to come and hold on to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.